Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories number 17. I almost had to count on my own fingers there. This is going to be the beginning of what is going to evolve into a series of podcasts on this subject that I'm going to call, Is It All Flowers? Quite a few people have asked me for advice on flower farming. People have asked my opinion on content that's out there. And then recently, people asked me to share more of the economics and business practices that I use here and what I see out there in the greater universe. For anyone that doesn't know, this is really my expertise category. Before the whole horticulture thing, there was a marketing, branding, sales guy by trade career. And through different phases of my life and career, uh, not the same thing, but sometimes feels close, that I've picked up on some traits that are habitual in categories. And unfortunately, this flower farming category is picking up some really negative ones. And it concerns me because I'm someone who, first and foremost, just loves plants. That's it. People always ask me, like, what's my favorite? That's one of those questions. You know, people always, they want that. That's the old school media question. What are your favorite dahlias this year, Steve? I don't I like all dahlias. I like growing things. I like the tubers. I like the whole process. Again, I always say this. It's the process. It's not the result. And this category is really far more complex than what is out there. And I think the question I want to start, is it all flowers with, is pretty simple. There's a difference between people that are profiting off of flower farming versus people that are profiting off of flowers. Let's break that down. People who profit off of flower farming, people who sell workshops, people that sell accessories, gear, tools, ideals, concepts. Those are people profiting off of flower farming. People who profit off of flowers, people that grow flowers and sell flowers, those are not necessarily the same businesses. This is a really important topic to understand before we even go one second further. You can be a flower farm and not sell anything to do with flower farming. You don't sell workshops. You don't sell t-shirts. You don't sell tools. You don't sell plants. You simply sell flowers. Now we have people that profit off of the concept of flower farming. Do you want to learn how to become a flower farmer? Do you want to learn how to market your flower farm better? Do you need gear to run your flower farm? Those people are profiting off of the app. Of flower farming, not the product of a flower farm. And that distinction in a 2019 universe is very blurry, I think, for people. 
Are you interacting with an Instagram account, a Facebook page, a blog? It is a flower farm profiting off of growing flowers. Or are you interacting with an account that is profiting off of you wanting to be a flower farm or farmer? Huge difference. I pay a lot of attention. One of my jobs in life is to pay attention. Hypersensitivity to all things around. There is a community of flower farming. And finding a community is great. There's camaraderie, there's support, there's that. But then there is also a bit of preaching to the choir. And then there's yet another step of you're not just selling a product, you're selling that idea of community. If I do this thing, I'll find a community of people that will be like me, or maybe more importantly, they will like me because I'm doing the same thing. Again, we get into a very existential, complicated difference. Much of what I see out there in the universe is selling that is selling community, is selling the ideal of flower farming. Not the economy, not how you will make money, not how it will pay your bills, how you will send your kids to college if you choose to, how you will pay to get a new car if you need one, but that you will get community, that you will get the ideal, that you'll get to shoot a pretty photo or video, and post it to social media of a flower. Those are very different things. I'm also going to go out on a limb here and say, this will not be a popular podcast with a certain group of people. If this bubble is burst, and transparency and some authenticity are brought into it, those people selling the ideal of flower farming will now be selling something a little less pretty, a little less photogenic, a little less sellable. They do not have any desire to clearly see that happen. I'm going to quickly throw two numbers at you. If I was doing online workshops at $2,000 a person and I sold 1000 of them, it would be $2 million. Am I in the business of flower farming or am I in the business of selling workshops? I think the answer is pretty clear. If suddenly I give you imagery or content that talks about the real economy of farming, the real behind the scenes, the challenges of it. Am I selling more of those workshops at $2,000 or less of those workshops at $2,000? Again, 
I think the answer is pretty clear. The motives of a lot of the people early into this category, I am highly suspect of. I know by me talking a lot about this subject, there are relationships that will go badly for me that maybe I want to have or maybe I'm indifferent to having. But quite frankly, I just don't care. I'm at a place where I don't have to care. I approach everything I do, social media, people's experience here, as I'm looking to find people that are really interested about gardening, flowers, plants, the natural world, and all of the topics that gravitate around those. That's it. I'm not looking to find people that are willing to pay me $2,000 for workshops about how to learn to grow flowers. That's a real distinction early on. So as we go forward with, is it all flowers? This is the crucial thesis to me that I've just given you. We need to be very careful. One more very, very careful with where information is coming from and what people are really selling. I recently had a conversation with a large grower of plants. And I made the comment of, no one will ever question you if you're selling a plant or a price. That's very straightforward. It's the history of commerce, goods and products. The exchange is very transparent. Here's the price of my product. Do you want it? Yes or no. When you start selling ideas and hopes and dreams and attaching a price tag to that, we are now selling something very different and something potentially very dangerous and something very misleading. And that's why I was so careful in when and how I wanted to tackle this subject matter. Because for so many people, there are a lot of ideals wrapped up into this. But for many of the people that have been profiteering off of this, they're selling those ideals. They're selling that imagery. They're not selling you a flower. That I'd understand. That I'd support. That's what I do. They're selling you a hope. And when we start selling hope, we're also going to potentially have people that experience false hope. And then we have a void that is created. And that's what I'm concerned about. So as we get into this podcast today, I'm going to walk you through so many of the steps of how I look at this world specifically of flower farming slash flower growing. And explore that question. Is it all flowers? To understand flower farming, we've got to understand farming. And to understand farming, we've also got to make a distinction between it and gardening. 
they are not the same thing. In fact, the world of farming, its roots, are from a very interesting place. Even the root origin of the word farm is debated. This is a great Google foo for everyone, by the way. If you really want a deep dive of subject, look into the word farm and its origin. The earliest history we have of this word is that it actually meant to rent or lease property. It had nothing to do with growing. The thought being that many people who weren't landowners, and we're talking 1300s here, people, they weren't wealthy enough to grow anything. So they had to rent farm space and land. And that root origin of that word is then what gave birth to agricultural farming. There's other debates on the origin of it, but that's a really important thing. Farming historically has not been an aristocratic pursuit. There weren't a lot of successful farmers historically. Now we switch over to gardening. Gardening was something very different. Gardening, in my opinion, is much more the ideal that people are pursuing. I want to create a beautiful space. I want to create a beautiful space that gives back to me. It enriches my life. Most of the early origin of the word is even similar to that. That a garden gave back to you. So. Flower farming and gardening are not the same, but I believe they're being confused. If you want to have a beautiful garden that you go out into and you cut flowers and you cut those flowers for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors, occasionally you have so many because you get so good at it that you bring them to a local farmer's market. That's a garden. A farm indicates something very different. And if you're going to pursue flower farming, make sure that you're not confusing it with wanting a garden. Just because you see certain people on Instagram using the word flower farm, or again, selling you the ideal that to have beautiful flowers and I want to walk around holding big bunches of flowers, I have to have a flower farm is untrue. You can have beautiful bunches of Instagrammable flowers that you sling over your shoulder like a gangster, sort of, and get all that out of a garden. You don't need to go to this next step of calling it a farm. There's no rule for that. There's been plenty of people in the hundreds of years of cultivated gardens who didn't have iPhones, who walked out of the garden with giant bundles of flowers they grew in that garden. It's a really, again, important distinction. We've got to live and explore the world in nuance if we're going to break through a lot of this noise and clutter and misleading information that's out there. A garden and a farm are not the same thing. 
our farming is really a 20th century experience. Before that, it was cutting gardeners. That change really came with the change in agriculture, which is a byproduct of the mid-20th century. For those of you that don't know, and we're sort of approaching a similar thing right now, which is, again, a bit of a cyclical history topic. There was a real fear after World War II that as we continued to see a population growth into the 1950s baby boomers, that the world would not be able to produce enough food for its population. It gave birth to mechanized farming principles. Actually, one of the Nobel uh, Peace Prize winners was the godfather of industrial agriculture and approached it from a very practical place. Unlike many people would like to believe that this was an evil genius coming up with these ideas of spraying chemicals and mechanized farming, it wasn't. It was given birth out of the thought of, we need to make farms more productive because we have to feed a growing population of the world. Feeling without that, there would be mass shortages of food in the world. Now, clearly, there have been shortages of food in the world. If we hadn't made that choice of going to industrialize farming, would there have been more? Would there have been less? Would there have been the same? It's a really complicated question to answer. But understanding that that's much of what farming had been in the 20th century. A drive to increase yield and production. Flower farming typically, and again is, trails behind its cousin, at the very least, traditional edible agriculture. Flower farming grows as the same technology behind it grows. Prior to a lot of the mechanization and industrialization, greenhouses, things like that, we had field-grown flower production. Benefits of field-grown flower production they don't outweigh the benefits of greenhouse-grown flower production. So as we go through the 20th century, we see the same thing happen. Field-grown flower production is eliminated in favor of mechanized greenhouse production. Simple answers to anyone asking the question why. Flowers 12 months a year versus 6 months a year. Climate control over at the mercy of Mother Nature. And yield and production. As that moved forward, it was still a relatively domestic happening throughout the world. The cost of growing flowers in California and shipping them to other parts of the United States was still controllable and accepted. It wasn't until we get into the late 1980s, and in fact, a graduate student writes a paper thinking that right outside of the 
capital of Colombia, Bogota, that the upland hills, as we get to the Andes mountain plains, were a perfect environment potentially to grow cut flowers, we see the idea of international flower becoming possibly a thing. In 1991, there is a tax removed for the country of Colombia, and we're going to try to explore this topic. You want to talk about a topic, people, that I want to explore with a guest, but has been like, you know, wrangling cats, as my great-great-grandmother probably said. It's been me flower trade and its birth in Colombia. We're going to talk about a story eventually when we get there. That might be a seven-hour podcast on the subject. Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, runner-up. In 1991, a tax is removed on cut flowers coming in from Colombia. And at that point, that same grad student had taken a roll of the dice and decided to actually invest in growing flowers in Colombia. And guess what? He was right, and it worked. This history of farming and flower farming is hugely important if we want to get to the behind the scenes of a flower farm today. Without the knowledge base of that history, without the awareness of the international flower market, you are not properly prepared to run a successful long-term business where you happen to grow and sell flowers. The current culture of fake it till you make it is really not applicable to the world of agriculture. And again, it's cousin, horticulture. Technically, horticulture would argue that it's older than agriculture, but they go back and forth on this debate of which came first, the chicken or the egg. If you believe that turning a blind eye and just doing what you want to do and pretending that this other thing doesn't exist with transparency, you will be crushed by the international flower trade. What do I mean by that subject? I grow roses at Nacho's Glen. We have 250 rose plants. First off, to a home gardener, again, distinction here, 250 plants sounds like a lot. To a massive rose growing facility in Bogota, Colombia, 250 roses is nothing. They grow Hundreds of thousands and in total tens of millions of roses. That scale allows them immediately to crush me in my business if we go head to head. What do I mean by that? Let's explore that as a topic. Commodities. Commoditization has been a byproduct of agriculture. From the beginning, the Dutch create a stock exchange before anyone else. If you're not aware of this, it's in the 16th century. The Dutch really gave birth to the exchange of both stock, promissory notes, and also commodities. Agriculture, more than almost 
anything in the world has fallen victim time and time again to becoming commoditized. Going from being, at times, a rare, valuable good to an abundantly produced, low-priced good. Commoditization. Flowers are in the exact same ballpark. Here's the difference. Corn is not that sexy on Instagram. Holding that giant bundle of flowers is. It's far easier to sell that ideal. You'll be in the fields. The sun will be beaming through. You'll hold the giant bundle of dahlias and everything will be right with the world. If you're standing there with bushels of corn, people aren't going to see it the same way. Why? Historically, we know corn is a bit of a commodity even if we don't know it. Conscious brain, subconscious brain. Conscious brain tells us, oh my God, that's a gorgeous flower. Conscious brain, yeah, that's corn. I see that at Kroger. That's just the truth of it. Flowers, though, make no mistake, are a commodity. They were made a commodity well before flowers were grown in Bogota, Colombia. They became a commodity on the Dutch exchange for tulips. In the nursery side of the world, before the flower culture side of the world really started to kick in, they again started to become commodities. If you were a peach or citrus grower, when you bought your new trees, you didn't buy them as these specialty rarity objects hung over someone's shoulder. You bought them as a commodity from a nursery. That's where it started. The connection between nursery and agriculture was very deep. Those products have been commodities for well over 200 years. Then, as we talked about, as flowers went from the field to the greenhouse and mechanized industrial farming in the mid-20th century happens, flowers now are grown at such a scale they can be commodity. They can be grown 12 months a year. And that's where we are today. My 250 flowers here do not compete with the millions of flowers produced in Colombia. So how do you compete? How do you navigate those waters? Those are the questions of a modern flower farm. And I'm going to go real deep here on this subject at 20-ish minutes into the podcast. One of the reasons why this topic has been hard to get a guest to discuss with is because we just put our first crack in the flower farmer photo. Let's do some math together again. There's a lot of math in this week's Nacho's Glen House stories. Have you noticed? I mean, we're not talking calculus or anything. It's pretty basic stuff, but still, math, you know? You just put on your table all of these packets of zinnias, and you're so excited, and you gave a hashtag to the flower farmer who sold you the zinnias, 
and you're excited and you're all about it, about it. All of those zinnias on your table equate to, let's say, a thousand plants. Let's give you a good amount of plants. A thousand. From those thousand plants, throughout the course of your growing season, let's be super over-the-top optimistic. Let's keep the ideal alive. A thousand flowers, five stems per flower. That's per, per plant. We're so in the math here that I'm even stumbling over. I mean, that's how you know math is going on. You're just like, what's the number versus that? We have a thousand plants at five flower stems per plant. That's 5,000 flowers. 5,000 flowers. Happy day. Happy, happy day. Did you know that a zinnia on the commodity market coming out of South America sells for, on average, about 14 cents a flower stem? Pause on that thought. Pause. Let's go the opposite way. Let's say you are great at person-to-person sales. You have established relationships with local florists, floral designers, people that buy flowers, and you have sold them on the idea that they will pay you a dollar a stem for your zinnias, which is astronomically over the commodity price that zinnias are traded at, but you're that good. You are that good of a salesperson. You have gone in there. You're like, listen, I am the Don Draper of flower farming. Mad Men reference. I have convinced you to pay a dollar a stem. You have just made $5,000. Pause on that again. Growing a thousand zinnias is a lot of effort. Growing a thousand zinnia plants is going to become maybe a bit of a full-time job. The course of the growing season is going to give you those 5,000 flowers over the course of, let's call it, three and a half to four months. For four months, you've made $5,000. Those are the facts here. The undeniable truth, undeniable truth of agriculture and horticulture, it is a commodities-driven industry has been, will be, will be forever. Yield is still king. It will always be the number that determines successful versus unsuccessful. Margins on agriculture have always been incredibly narrow. Incredibly pennies. Because it's always been pennies, yield is a necessity. We need a hundred million pennies to make money, not 
4,000 pennies. That's the challenge still today of running a flower farm. As I worked in the nursery industry, one of the compelling subjects to me, and I mentioned this when Alan Armitage was our guest on the podcast, was there was an arrogance of independent garden center owners versus big box stores, Home Depot and Lowe's. That same arrogance is noticeable in small boutique flower farms versus the international flower community. International flowers are literally a billion-dollar exchange business. You growing Cafe Ole Dahlia today and finding a marketplace for it and selling it for three, four, five, six, let's even go to 10. Let's just talk crazy talk, people. $10 a flower stem. Do you not think the international floriculture, we'll get real specific and use that word, industry, isn't working on creating a Cafe Ole Dahlia that can be grown in a greenhouse maybe even 12 months a year? Newsflash, they are. Again, putting your head in the sand or just faking it till you make it is not going to serve you well long term. And that's where we're at here. Because again, if we crack through this Instagram photo, if we start to just shatter the image a little, the flowers over the shoulder, the sun in the background beaming down in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, I can't sell you the ideal of the workshop. Because now we're talking about months of work for $5,000. We're talking about an international community of giant dollars chasing the dollar that I currently have. And how do I stay ahead of that international market? Because again, commoditization is coming for everything all the time. Not just in flowers, but in everything. It is a force that will impact every good that everyone buys on a daily basis and will continue forever. Flowers are no exception to that rule. The talk of flower farming also has to take you into two marketplaces, the consumer marketplace and the wholesale marketplace. Just like there is a huge division between a flower farm versus people selling you the ideals and imagery of a flower farm, there is a huge division between the consumer and the wholesale market space. There's no coincidence that on the flower farmer selling you the imagery of a flower farm for profit and the floral designer world selling that same imagery, and in many times those two cross over, they're not selling you a lot of truths. They're selling you a lot of ideals and images. 
That's the same issue. The florist, the floral designer. When they did a project, I want you to very take every bit of emotion out of your brain on this subject. And I want you to look at this from a very practical, I have bills to pay kind of mindset. Local floral designer is bidding out a wedding. Local floral designer meets 400 flower stems for said wedding. 400 flower stems of varying types can all be acquired for less than $1.50 on average per stem from local, import, internationally sourced flower seller. Or, local floral designer can get same amount of stems at an average of $2.50 per stem from local flower grower. And that month, you've got bills to pay. I want you to tell me where you're going to choose. With no emotion, with no connection, with no concern, but anything but those bills to pay. That is where most of the market leans on a daily basis. The challenge of all, all products is reaching consumers. The counter argument would be, well, Steve, what you want is a consumer that demands local grown flowers of a higher quality versus the international product. This is a very emotional and very fanciful fueled argument and theory. There is a reason, there is a reason why the most successful companies in the history of the world have been commodity-driven companies. McDonald's doesn't buy its potatoes from locally sourced farms. McDonald's buys its potatoes as commodities. The percentage of the consumer marketplace that is really driven to source quality over price will always be smaller and not just a little smaller. That idea has to also be a first thought whenever you are thinking about entering into flower farming for profit. Talking to consumers, getting them excited about buying flowers from you directly will always be a more successful path than trying to sell aspirational flower farmers on the idea of flower farming. Again, huge difference. (music) 
All of what I've just talked about, again, continues to break the imagery. We break down the idea of the shiny day with the flowers over the shoulder, and we start to exchange it for these things I'm talking about. And there's some people probably listening who are like, wow, this got serious in a hurry. I like to look at these things as if I had bills to pay. I have kids that need food. And it is serious. Because here is where this gets sketchy to me. If you're selling people on the idea of gardening and growing beautiful flowers to create that image and sling it over your shoulder, share it on Instagram and get all these likes, I am more power to you. More power. The most power. However much power you can get, I want you to have even more than that. That I am a huge supporter of. Here is what I am not a supporter of. Selling people on the idea that you can sling those flowers over your shoulder on Instagram and then go make money to pay the bills, to get your kids clothes, to pay your mortgage, that's where we get dicey. If we're selling the career path of flower farming, we need to be transparent. You need good information, not images of flowers over people's shoulders. The difference between those two things is astronomical. I'm going to tell you a story of my friends, Jay and Gary, and their family. They have a dahlia flower farm in Enfield, Connecticut. Their family has been growing first gladiolas in the 1950s, all the way through today, 2019, and they transitioned over to the dahlias exclusively somewhere in the late 1980s, early 1990s. They can't give me a complete example of when. They have historically grown between 10 to 20 acres of dahlias and or gladiolas. And you will not meet a group of people and I'm going to speak again, very frank on this subject, who have been more beaten down by trying to earn a living growing flowers or a living. They have exclusively sold to the wholesale markets in New York and Boston and Providence, Rhode Island. Dahlias, because they don't ship well at this point on the international market, were needed in those two cities, and then Providence has always had a lot of import and export of goods as well between the two. Their struggles have been as difficult as trying to get 10 cents more a stem over a 10-year window, meaning that historically they were charging a dollar per stem and then wanted to go to a dollar 10, and their wholesalers threatened to just stop buying from them. That's the market we're talking about. Why? Because the international flower market leads the day. Not the local flower farm in Jay and Gary. And you would say to yourself, well, Steve, did Jay and Gary grow the most beautiful, outstanding, magic dahlias that certain people do in other parts of the world, maybe the Pacific Northwest? They were growing those same magical, just-as dahlias way before anybody else was. That would be your answer. 
They were growing those flowers before any of us were on Instagram. They were growing those flowers before there was Instagram. They were growing those flowers before Mark Zuckerberg stole the, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook. That's the truth of the matter. And after doing it for decades and decades and decades and decades, they're still challenged to get over $1.50 a stem for their dahlias from their wholesale customers. Well, but what about Cafe? Yes, including Cafe Olay. The challenge is the honesty bubble being burst. If the stories of people like Jay and Gary and their family are told, you won't give me $2,000 for the online workshop where you can become an aspirational, make millions of dollars, throw flowers of your shoulder, flower farmer. That won't happen. Is it all doom and gloom? No, it's not. But is there an honesty and a transparency that is desperately needed? Yes. The difference between entering into something with really good historical data, a very broad perspective, versus being blindsided eight months into something is going to be the difference between you doing it for two years and you doing it for 20 years. The difference between you eventually being able to pay for your kids going to college and you not being able to pay for your kids to go to college. These are real world problems because there are real world insinuated promises being made. That's the problem. Those aspirational images don't talk about Jay and Gary. The aspirational images don't talk about the wholesaler who, when Gary had had a massive medical problem, was in the hospital and they called Gary's wife and said, where are our flowers? And she explained that Gary had had a stroke and was in the hospital. And they said to her, well, we need our flowers. If you don't get them to us this week, we'll stop buying from you. That's the kind of stories that don't sell $2,000 workshops. But those are the real stories of, is it all flowers? Again, the imagery of flowers and the actuality of flower growing and farming are not the same thing. Don't be fooled. 2019 shows us something. In 2019, we are shown by certain people that if you put out the correct kind of imagery, you can impact enough people to buy $2,000 workshops from you. That's a huge issue. That problem is where we're at today. You can actually learn from that and say, wow, there is a huge difference between Instagram and what I can put out there versus how I run my business. Utilizing social media 
utilizing technology is tremendously effective. Where you put those efforts and what you're selling are the questions you have to ask yourself. If you are selling to consumers, there is no better tool in the history of humans to reach people than social media. You have to, have to utilize it. This is not a question of, oh, golly geez, you know, I don't really, I'm not a big social media, da-da-da-da-da. You are now in the business of business. That means you love social media. Change your tune, Skippy, or get out of the business of business. That is what we can learn from the last six-year slice here of the flower farming pie. We can look and go, wow, look at how successful that tactic was. Maybe it wasn't honest. Maybe it wasn't transparent. Maybe it had a sprinkle of predatory to it. But we can see that it works. That's what we walk away with. In 2018, as we came back from the tundra of Connecticut and we went back to the beautiful palatial Natchez Glen, I originally thought we were going to do a lot of wholesale business. Now, it turns out a couple of things. Number one, I grow a lot of flowers. And the other issue of farming, when you get good at doing something, you create a new problem. The new problem was, I was growing a lot of flowers. And that is a huge problem suddenly. What? Yes. Slinging the bundle of flowers over your shoulder and having an overabundance of a product, a surplus of product. Now you just created a, wait for it. If you're following along at home, you already answered the question. A commodity. You just created your very own commodity problem. A surplus of product that typically sells at a very low cost and devalued currency, hence commodity. You are now in the process of commoditizing yourself. Congratulations. You took what was a rare and sacred jewel and decided you got so good at growing it that you now have a thousand of them a day. Where are these thousand diamonds a day going to go to? By the way, Side tangent, the DeBears family growing diamonds, another rabbit hole of Google if you ever want to go down to it, and artificially creating a rarity object very early on. It may or may not actually be that rare, just saying. You've created this flower surplus. That's what I did here. We had a flower surplus. Now, as we go through 2019, you're going to hear me talk about this more. The other issue was the local wholesale market here was not absorbing, uh, I'm going to be kind at the moment, maybe not so kind in four months, an adequate amount in my opinion. Because of that, I quickly decided we needed to move more consumer-based. And there's varying models of consumer-based out there. What's consumer-based? It could be a community-supported agriculture where you put bouquets or bundles of your flowers in locations or at your farm and people come and they pick them up, they pay in advance to get a share. Or you could try to retail your product directly. Or 
You could try to create bouquets and sell them at farmer's markets, right? These are all the direct consumer elements. Then I decided, I don't know if I'm a big fan of all of those. I know a lot about this topic. I've worked really closely with farmer's markets around the country. I have seen some of the information and trending, and I didn't think that was a good place to go. Again, remember, we grew the 5,000 zinnias, and we only sold them for a dollar a piece. That's $5,000. So what can we do that's different than that? That's when we came up with our flower reservations that people could make. You book a flower reservation online, you come out to Natchez Glen, you see these, this beautiful experience, you get to pick the flowers you want and leave with, creates a really beautiful moment for you, your family, for Instagram, for your cousin Larry, for everybody, and you leave with a stupid amount of flowers. That sounded like a better game plan. That's where I decided to go. People have asked me, hey Steve, what is the percentage of what you do wholesale versus what you do retail? Well, I am very pleased to tell you that what we do retail is about 80% of the business here. That's right, eight zero, a thousand flowers a day. Now, did we use and sell all thousand flowers a day? Eh, no. In fact, last year I got to a point where I was like, we have so many flowers, I'm not even cutting some flowers. Again, created my own surplus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means two things for 2019. Number one, more people need to come to Natchez Glen to get their own flowers. Number one, holding a marker on the Instagram live. You can't see this when you're listening to the podcast, but I'm holding a marker to represent firstly and telling you to do it. Number two, the Nashville wholesale market needs to pick up their game. That's number two. A lot of people talk, again, idealism, about supporting locally grown flowers. Let's start seeing people put their money where their mouth is. Idealism doesn't pay the bills. I've tried. Trust me. That is a huge issue. I'm in one of the top 30 metropolitan markets in the country. I'm in one of the fastest metropolitan growing markets in the world. In spite of all that, there were not enough flowers being consumed by the wholesale market here. Some of that is it was our first year in business. But some of that is that challenge we talked about earlier, the choice between international grown commodity at a very low price versus local grown flour, and I've got to pay bills. Which am I picking? So for 2019, one of my goals here is to create more opportunity and value for wholesale flour buyers to work with me here, but also to put a little pressure on them as well. Let's not allow you to get away with talking the talk, but not walking the walk. It's a big part of 2019 is trying to put that into the universe where we get an answer to the question of 
are they really willing to buy the flowers that they should? Wholesale versus consumer efforts are something that flower farms need to get right very quickly. Am I in the wholesale business or am I in the retail business? Instagram is a great tool for either. You can business to business all day long. You can reach out. You can direct message to potential buyers. There's so much you can do utilizing social media as a business to business tool. But the question then becomes, is the business-to-business wholesale marketplace going to support an actual business? Are we growing the 5,000 cut flower zinnia stems and only getting a dollar a piece for four months worth of work and I've made $5,000 for four months worth of work? We want to talk about raising the minimum wage. Do the math on that. That is a real challenge. When we look at flower farming as a whole in 2019, we have that fork. We can go this way, or we can go that way, or we can try a hybrid of both. Hybrid of both is going to obviously give you the most return. But do you do it differently? Yes. A lot of what I do here, from a practical sense, is only because it's fun and it creates cool content for us all to look at together and for me to do. Me growing zinnias at a place where we're growing 9,000 dahlias and producing 1,000 flower stems a day doesn't make any practical sense. I'm not going to make money from those zinnias. It's just fun. I know a lot of people at home like to garden with zinnias. I'm doing it for you guys. That's it. It's, it's cool. I get to see some zinnias. You get to, we, we get to do it together. If you have problems with your zinnias and seedling, if you have problems with your zinnias in your garden, I can help you out. That's it. I am way more consumer focused than I am wholesale focused. In fact, between you and I and the wholesale people that probably aren't listening to this, I find the business relatively bleh. It's commoditized. I know that. I don't go into there thinking that everybody's talking about rainbows and puppy dog tails. I go in there knowing that the people that do their buying, as they're talking to me, and I'm waxing poetic and talking about the beauty of some new dahlia that we're going to have, or wow, aren't you excited that we just planted out 100 peonies? I know in their brain they're thinking, Oh, wait a second. That's right. I, I, I know this guy's rambling in front of me about all these flowers, but uh, I saw a price list and I remembered seeing how peonies coming out of the uh, Netherlands this year at a 80 cents a stem. I know that. I don't go in there with some kind of disillusioned, uh, warped perception of reality when we talk about flower growth. The truth is, It's been commoditized. My job is to create a different market space. That's how you avoid commoditization. You shift your product to another channel. You don't try to compete with it. 
There is a podcast that I'm going to do in a couple of weeks where everyone is going to be like, say what? Why are we talking about this now? The podcast is going to topic the edible world of like high-end, specifically cheese. There are some real learning lessons for everyone who wants to be a flower farmer in those worlds. I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast that the flower cutting world has trailed the agricultural edible world. Well, it's trailing on this too. There was a minute where everyone wanted to support local. Remember? Let's go back. There was a time where at Whole Foods, you'd see beautiful little pictures of the farm that this tomato came from. And they would tell you the story of how they're growing 45 heirloom tomatoes and how Jim and Jane work all day. And Jim and Jane just want you to have the best tomato. Oh, wait, Jeff Bezos and the largest retail company in the history of the world bought it. Oh, my bad. That is more reality of where things are. There is also a disturbing trend of local farmers markets doing worse, not better. The financials of this versus the idealism of this, again, come into combat. And I will drop a truth bomb on you. That usually, the idealism has lost historically. So what does that mean? You gotta shift. You cannot swim upstream against the current of commoditization. If you grow zinnias and you take zinnias to a farmer's market and you find a place there for those to sell, that is very niche. And what is our volume potential there? On a given Saturday, how many zinnia bouquets can we sell? How many of those can we do in a year? What's that dollar look like? Is that a $10,000 a year business? Is that what we're talking about? There's a fascinating thing of one of these online courses that had a spreadsheet that it showed. It was actually a pie chart for those of you playing the at-home game. And the pie chart quickly went through to 2015 in the amount of money earned in that year. But yet, the same flower farm didn't talk and show the pie chart. The pie chart wasn't shown from before 2015. But there were just some references here or there in the content about how difficult it was, how challenging it was, how there was hardly any money. But the pie chart that was shared was a, a, a livable wage. $70,000, $80,000. And it just struck me when I watched the content where I was like, well, what about the other pie charts? What about the pie charts from 2009? When you say you were starting up, what did those pie charts look like? That's, again, a big gap in knowledge. What was going on when you were only going to the farmer's market and selling zinnias when you had them or selling this or 
What was that pie chart before people got Instagram famous, let's call it? Doing it for the gram. What were those dollar days like? How'd the bills get paid then? That's the reality of this. As a flower farmer, you have to decide where are we going with this? In fact, I will tell you, I see nationally a lot of people that were in the flower farm game leaning a little bit to the CBD hemp game suddenly. Now, I want you to put on your thinking hats, people. Got them? Let's go. If flower farming was so profitable, why are we now growing the hemp? I'll wait. If flower farming was all flowery and we were slinging flowers over the shoulder, we're, we're a farmer florist, we're all these things, we're all the things, why are we now trying to make CBD oil? Are we just diversifying? Again, I'll wait. Flowers will always be about yield, so we'll cauliflower. If you grow two acres of cauliflower and at the end of the year you yield 200 heads of cauliflower and at the end of the year I yield 1,000 heads of cauliflower and I sell them at 50 cents a head and you sell them at $2, guess who still makes more money? Yeah, that's right. That person. That will always be a truth. Always. The person who is more productive wins. The person who is more productive has control over pricing. You don't. To look at this in a short-sighted view through the very curated imagery of Instagram, through a very, I will compliment, well-crafted narrative, is naive. In 2019, there is no excuse for being naive. Information is readily available in your pocket and or any other place you keep your phone. When people are selling you $2,000 workshops for online, may I add, online, of how to be a high-intensity flower farm, to fulfill your hope, dreams, and economic success. You, my friends, to use an old school phrase, are being hoodwinked and maybe even a little bamboozled. This will not be a popular podcast. In fact, I may actually lose a couple of speaking opportunities this year by doing this podcast. And I will tell you what I will then do is I will talk about losing said speaking opportunities. You can create a flower farm that is successful. We will guide you. I will guide you on this series into some of what I feel are the ways to get you there. Ultimately, if you are doing this for community alone, 
I'm sure you will find community. If that is all you're looking from the experience, is gaining community, then you'll be fine. Right? Again, the distinction between farming and gardening. The distinction between, am I doing this just to enrich my life, to find a community, to explore something I find really interesting and rewarding, versus I've got bills to pay, are not the same thing. I'm going to wrap up this first, is it all flowers? By giving you a piece of information you don't know, more than likely. A little presumptive on my part that maybe you wouldn't know that. At the beginning, I mentioned the root word of farm. And how a farm, the word, was a leased piece of property. In the agricultural community, there have always been yearly operational loans from banks. Meaning, you run the farm all year off of this set amount of money that there's interest obviously associated with. At the end of the year, the goal here hopefully is you can pay off the loan through what you sell. Think of it in the, in the very simplistic, we've picked on corn once, we'll pick on corn twice. You grow corn. You raise corn. You have to harvest corn. To do all of that takes operational money. In some fields of agriculture, there's a lot of labor, physical labor, not even mechanized labor, and you need to pay those people. And then the hope being that when the crop goes and you harvest, that you have enough to pay off the loan plus interest and have some money left over for yourself. Many people, and we're going to have some of these guests on at some point to talk about this, considered this a very early form of indentured servitude. The farmer gets stuck on the wheel every year hoping they can now not only pay off that year's operational loan, but a little bit of last year's too. Because the harvest didn't come in quite as good. The yield wasn't as great. The payment was a little higher. Boy, I hope this year we've got a better yield. Boy, I hope this year's harvest is better. I want you to think about that. That's the roots of a lot of this. We can all put on our glasses when we go to the farmer's markets. And we want to feel really good about that. But behind the story of agriculture is a long and checkered history. Flower farming is no different. The difference being, we didn't have the photo of the flower farmer with the farmers o- farmer flowers over their shoulder looking all awesome. That's the difference. That moment, that image didn't exist. Now it does. That's the ideal we're selling. To wrap this up, there is a path to growing flowers and selling flowers if you choose to that can be really successful for someone with a limit on what successful means to you. How you get there 
is a little bit more complicated than people think. How you navigate that is going to take a really broad perspective of the category. How you get there is going to mean that you're really someone who approaches things with a grounded place. Again, I talk about woodland fairies all the time. But there's a grounding to this when it comes to what am I growing here? What's my expectation out of this? How much do I have to grow? Not want to, but have to grow if I want this to be successful. That's the challenge. Also for 2019, I would like for everyone listening to take a pledge. No one ever again is going to go get a piece of barn wood, take photos in front of it and with themselves with a giant thing of flowers over their shoulder. I mean, come on, people. At least get more creative. I mean, really. Awesome, you grew some flowers. Stop with the barnwood walls already. I mean, just come up with a new aesthetic. At least change it to maybe like a rock wall or maybe get some of those beads from the 1960s and 70s that they would use as room dividers in front. I mean, just a little bit of a mix-up of some kind. I mean, it's just like enough already. We see you. I mean, really. We all get it. You grew some flowers. That is where we're moving for 2019 moving forward. We're going to expand this conversation. We're going to have more guests specifically on this topic, as difficult as it is sometimes for me to get them. What we're probably going to end up doing is tackling this topic in a very broad scope where we focus in on some categories that aren't flower growing, but have similar characteristics economically, the diversity that it takes, the history of that. In fact, one of my guests is a really great author. She's written things for the New York Times, and she wrote a great piece on some of this, like the cheeses that I mentioned about the struggle of domestic sheep production for milk. Yeah, that's right. That kind of topic is so applicable, applicable, depending upon where you're from in the country, to this very subject. Flowers are phenomenal. And my, my biggest passion in life is this category. It, it really has become it in a very uh, happenstance kind of way for me personally. But what I so much preach about, and I believe that everyone should, should do, is ask yourself that question. Is what I really want a flower farm or a garden? Pick garden. Gardening is phenomenals. There's none of this nonsense, nonsense economical talk you put a peony in the ground and you don't care if it, that one bloom that it produces that year is magic for you. And it truly is magic. If we switch over to the word farm, now suddenly we got to make money off of all this. Ew. We're going to lose a lot of the magic talk. Now that one flower you got in that first year, the peony root costs you like $3.50. The one stem isn't even big enough to sell yet, and you only got one. And in fact, that year it was real hot in May, and it's sort of blown out already, and you may not even be able to sell it. Man, I just lost $3.50. We're off to a bad start. Gardening is not farming. Farming is not gardening. You can get all that imagery you want. You can get the community that you want through gardening. If that's why you're doing it. 
But if you want to start making money, it's got a whole lot serious in here. The tone is going to change. If it's a 10% side hustle, sure, maybe. But we're starting to inch close towards Siriusville. We got to understand economics and international marketplaces and where products are coming from and who we're competing with, who we're not competing with. What's the flow through of your product to the wholesale market versus the consumer market? And are we really willing to focus on B2B exclusively despite the fact the margins are so much lower? Let's go, people. Let's go. If that's where we're headed, I will help you get there. But I think for a lot of the people I see, just be an awesome gardener. Go dig up a big piece of your property and just garden. Do it. If you want to pay for your own addiction, I mean your own garden, then go ahead and just sell some flowers to some other people at farmer's markets. Sell them to your friends, something like that, and make your goal be like, this year, I spent $400 on the garden. Next, this year, I want to sell $400 worth of flowers to friends, neighbors, and relatives named Paul, and that way I could buy another 400 plants for next year. That makes a lot of sense to me. That is smart. That's open-minded. That's perspective. This other thing, I feel like any second, by the way, between you and I at the end of the podcast, let me tell you something. I feel, I'm now I do this to my wife all the time, right? And she rolls her eyes at me just like you did. I feel we are not too far away from some of these promises being made on Instagram and social media to people, to some lawsuits, people. There's a lot of claims being made out there. Selling you workshops. Come to my workshop and learn the secrets of the secrets. You too can be an awesome flower farmer. Sling the flowers over your shoulder. Have your hair in the sunlit winds and make all the money you've dreamed of. You know, I can't go around telling you I got cures for cancer when I don't. I can't go around telling you that if you buy this product, you'll become a millionaire. It's called illegal. We're pretty much on that wavelength a little, aren't we, folks? When we really break it down. To close. We'll continue to talk about this subject. We'll explore it on the podcast. As we all know, it is clearly one of my favorites because mostly I'm just so passionate about gardening. And I'd rather see people get into gardening. Because that's what most people really want. That experience of germinating the seed, watching the zinnia grow, cutting the zinnia flower, putting it in the house, and have one of those look-at-what-I-did moments. Look-at-what-nature-did moments. However you define that spiritually, whatever that is for you, you'll get that thing. You don't have to cut it with its other 5,000 friends and bring it to the farmer's market and hope to sell them for a dollar a stem despite all economic and international odd principles and then end up with $5,000 after four months of working in the Tennessee August-September heat. That you may not need in your life. 
But that garden, we all need that. The only dreams I've had have been in the daytime Anything to get away from the straight line the straight line that I walk With all the medicated masses Creating minds outlined in chalk I've always bordered on the edge of something my mind goes where very few dare to tread Is it wrong that I'm dying, trying hard to live So bend and break my back For a world that just won't give a little Safe inside, no. 